Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. You guys, I think this is going to go down in history as my best sermon ever because I'm speaking to intoxicated people. And it is my favorite to speak to intoxicated people because everything you say is awesome. <laughs> I'm like, I had lunch today. say in the next, you know, few minutes, it's going to be awesome. (laughs) Because you are intoxicated in the wild wonder of the goodness of Jesus, right? So good. You know, I just felt the, uh, just that water level rising. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just saying, I am, I am pouring out a fresh baptism that's going to drown away our codependency. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to drown away our addiction. It's going to drown away our insecurity. It's going to drown away our fear. And, and when we start to feel a little bit suffocated, it's only because those things were meant to die. <laughs> because what we're going to discover is that we were actually created to live and breathe and have our being under the constant flow of the manifested presence of Jesus. And none of that stuff can live under there. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to discover we were born to swim. <laughs> what are you doing today? I'm just swimming. I'm just swimming. I'm just swimming around. What are you doing today? I'm just swimming too. We're all just swimming. <laughs> You know, I just have a word on my heart today about faith, and uh, we'll see if I can say it. It was in Luke 17. We're going to talk about the 10 lepers today. You remember those guys? All right, we're going to start in verse 11. It goes like this. Jesus traveled on towards Jerusalem and passed through the border region between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered one village. Ten men approached him, but they kept their distance, for they were lepers. They shouted to him, Mighty Lord, our wonderful master, won't you have mercy on us and heal us? When Jesus stopped to look at them, he spoke these words, Go to be examined by the Jewish priest. They set off, and they were healed while walking along the way. And, you know, I've just been meditating on this story, and just the, the, just how profound it is that there's these 10 guys who, you know, they, they couldn't live or do life in a city. They were outcasts. They weren't legally allowed as lepers 
to be in a community, but they were allowed to live together. So they found each other because they all had one thing in common, their disease. And, you know, it, in that time, in the culture of Jesus, like people with leprosy um, had a stigma attached to them that they were, um, God was displeased with them. That, that they were a shame to God and that their disease was fruit of things that it, they've done to be um, a displeasure to the Lord. And so we see Jesus constantly throughout the New Testament smiling on lepers and just showing the world I am absorbing all your poor choices. I am absorbing every consequence of sin. I am absorbing every evil thing that was poured out because of the fall. I am absorbing it all. All the wrath and and anger is going to be poured out. And I'm going to be a sufficient sacrifice. Isn't that good news? And so he's... he stops and speaks to these lepers and, you know, he says, go show yourself to the priest. And the, the priest was the one who had the authority to say, you are clean. These guys just in and worship again. And so we could just imagine these guys just dreaming of this moment, standing before the priest and hearing the priest say, you're clean. You're clean. That that decree over their life would restore everything that the disease had taken. It would restore all their livelihood. It would restore their ability to have a family, to have a community, to get a job. And, you know, Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And they still have leprosy. Like, you know, one of the fruits, I I just was doing some research on leprosy, and it's really common that your nose will sink in when you have leprosy. Like, I tried not to look at too many of the images. It's like, it's like brutal and incredibly obvious. And your fingers go numb, your, your limbs go numb, so you can no longer feel pain. So a lot of times they lose fingers and just bad stuff. So they're like, walking along the road, and they still have leprosy, you know? And this is the beautiful thing about faith, is faith tells the whole story. Faith, faith isn't afraid to see, oh, what Jesus said isn't manifesting yet, because leper for your notes, it still has major issues, <laughs> you know? Like, hey, leper five, you're still missing your index finger, And we're on our way to the priest, you know? And at some point in our life, we have to decide what is going to qualify us to get on the road Jesus has called us to walk on. Because, you know, the... They, they could have huddled in a corner and said, well, we, we're not allowed to walk on that road until all these wounds heal up. We're not allowed to walk on the road that clean people walk on until we no longer have boils and appendages and nose sunken in. But this is the thing about faith is that faith doesn't need confirmation from the physical realm to start moving. And, you know, our call is to be believing believers. 
And we are walking under the voice of Jesus that has said all sorts of radical things over our life. And we have to decide, when do we give ourselves permission to start living like it's true, even when it's not manifesting in the natural? Because, you know, in our culture, sometimes the, uh, the description of authenticity is that, well, it wouldn't be authentic to get on that road until you're no longer full of leprosy. But the most authentic thing we can do as believing believers is respond to the reality of what Jesus has said. And, you know, if he has called you clean and you feel dirty, you need to get on the road that clean people walk on. <laughs> you, need to, you, need what, you, you need to see them looking at you. You need to feel like, oh, great, they're judging me. They're judging me. I'm dirty, I'm on the clean road. <laughs> and you need to have your life whittled down to this one place of permission. Jesus put me on this road. <laughs> the voice of Jesus put me on this road. And in John 15, he says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken over you. That the word of Jesus is what makes us clean and qualifies us as soon as he says it. And it doesn't mean we don't live unaware that the fullness of his promise hasn't manifested. It just means I am aligning my life to live in the direction of the voice of Jesus. And you know, if he, he has said over our life, you belong as a son or a daughter, you are mine. And you know, if, if you have wounds from your childhood and your friends, number seven, eight, and nine, know, okay, when she feels insecure, she does that. And they're very aware, like, oh, you still look like an orphan. Your nose is still sunken in from your childhood. <laughs> That's all right. You need to stay in the sonship road. Stay in the road no matter how you feel, no matter what's manifesting in your soul. We are, we are believers who walk on the road Jesus has put us on because his words are enough. What he says is enough. And we just keep moving forward. And, you know, the, the, they notice somewhere along the line that they're healed. And I just wish I could get a snapshot of that moment. Like, whoa, we're healed. Like, incredibly miraculous. And it, it says, one of them, a foreigner from Samaria, when he discovered that he was completely healed, turned back to find Jesus, shouting out joyous praises and glorifying God. And when he found Jesus, he fell down at his feet and thanked him over and over, saying to him, you are the Messiah. This man was a Samaritan. So where are the other nine, Jesus asked. Weren't there ten who were healed? They all refused to return to give thanks and give glory to God, except you, a foreigner from Samaria? Then Jesus said to the healed man lying at his feet, Arise and go. It was your faith that brought you salvation and healing. And, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, they were all responding to what Jesus had said. And when one came back rejoicing and, and giving thanks over and over, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Jesus said, where are the other nine? And the other nine 
were doing what Jesus had told them to do. <laughs> I don't know if the guy was confused. Like, they went to see the priest, <laughs> you know? And, and the, that guy had no value for a Jewish priest. <laughs> and, you know, it is possible to do what Jesus says without receiving who Jesus is. And that we, we can be busy carrying out assignments and mandates in our life and miss this is the Messiah. This is the Savior of the whole world who is in my personal space. And, you know, his, Jesus said that his faith made him whole, that, you know, it brought salvation and healing. And, you know, we can get beautiful things in a corporate setting in a group that Jesus intends for us to, to get. They all got healed in their physical bodies as a group. Like, whoop, here's a corporate leprosy healing. And, and we can get things corporately that we cannot get privately. And it's intended that way. And there are things that we get privately with Jesus that we cannot get corporately. And the, the two constantly have to be married because the one guy that came back, he walked away with salvation. He walked away with sozo, saved, healed, and delivered, that he got the leprosy out of his insides as well as his outsides. And he, you know, if we could think of the massive lens that came from the rejection of that disease, from the isolation of that disease, from just the, the internal trauma of having to navigate that terrible situation. And the, the one that returned for a personal encounter with Jesus saw, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. There, there's very few moments in the New Testament where someone got it and said, whoa, I am in the presence of the son of the living God, the redeemer of all of mankind. And, you know, I just think it's so beautiful. I think this guy, the, the, the guy that returned is in the hall of faith. You know, the cloud of witnesses, one of the heroes that have gone before. You ever think about meeting those guys when you go to heaven? <laughs> and you're like, who are you? It's like, I'm the guy that gave thanks. <laughs> you know? I'm the one leper that returned. <laughs> you know? I'm the grateful one. <laughs> and, you know, the, the thing is, is that gratitude is a violent expression of faith. And there's, there's a gratitude that has nothing to do with faith, but it will improve the quality of your life and make the people you live with happier. You know, like if, if you just work on becoming more grateful, there's tons of scientific studies about it releasing happy hormones through your body and your entire demeanor changing. And nobody needs the revelation of who Jesus is to grow gratitude in your life. But a gratitude that is fueled by faith affects eternity. A, a gratitude that we, we develop because of a violent belief in who Jesus is is entirely different than trying just to become a better person. And this one leper, he got it. 
He came back praising Jesus for who he was, not just what he had done. He, he, he had the veil lifted. I see you. I see who you are. And, you know, I just want to look for a second at the, at the um, heroes chapter in Hebrews 11. And it says, now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Wow. You have permission to live an ascended life in a realm that is not seen. And you know, the first hero is Abel. And it says, faith moved Abel to choose a more acceptable sacrifice to offer to God than his brother Cain. And by his faith, Abel still speaks instruction to us today, even though he is long dead. And if we could just hear what Abel was saying today, it's incredibly encouraging. I mean, one of the things I think he's saying is he, he landed in the hall of faith because he went out into his field and he walked around his sheep and he, he took care of sheep and he is in the hall of faith for the rest of time. When we see him in the cloud of witnesses, he's one of the guys cheering us on in our moment of history and his claim to fame is he walked among his sheep and he looked for the fattest, best sheep and he brought it before the Lord as a sacrifice. And now he is the first hero in the hall of faith. That's gotta be so encouraging to us. If anybody out there lives a very normal life, you're gonna be so encouraged because in, in the realm of faith, it's not necessarily the outcome of what your faith did that is so extraordinary. It's that you did something with your faith. And Abel, he, he chose a sacrifice that said, I believe in my God. I believe my God sees what I present before him. I believe my God has his eyes on my life. He sees my sacrifice. He knows that I'm gonna bring him the best. And in faith, he brought a sacrifice that was his best. And, you know, Wendy Backlund says, it's not that we need to be doing something different to walk in faith. It's that we need to be doing the things we're already doing with our faith. That when we wake up in the morning and you're doing the mundane things like walking around your workplace, taking care of sheep. You know, folding laundry, washing dishes, making food, you know, like just doing your thing. That it's in those places that we have the opportunity to do it with extraordinary faith. To learn from Abel and say, my God sees. My work is my worship. I'm going to bring a sacrifice that's the best. I'm going to bring a sacrifice that isn't performance for man to see. But it is excellence for God to savor and to be moved by. And we wake up every morning in and out saying, God, this is for you. 
this is all for you. Even, even what Blake was saying in transition, so beautiful that every area of our life could be exuding this much life and faith and the renown of his name. By faith, Abel chose a more acceptable sacrifice. The next guy was Enoch. Faith lifted Enoch from this life. Because he had become a pleasure to God. <laughs> when you look back at the story, Abel has, I mean, Enoch has like two sentences. <laughs> it's like, he walked with God and was not. Like, like there's no more to the story. <laughs> like, whoa, that's a cliffhanger. Got a cliffhanger there. And this guy disappeared. And all we know is that he walked with God and was not. <laughs> but it was, it was his faith that joined him to grab a hold of an intimacy with the Lord that was before his covenant. It was before his time that he could become a pleasure, one who walked with God in the cool of the day, who was pleasing in his sight before the sacrifice of Jesus. And that we wouldn't take for granted the simplicity of what, what, what makes the Lord smile. The simplicity in your life, faith says he's easy to please. <laughs> Listen to this guy, Noah. He built the arky arky. They came in two by two, you know, twosie twosies. Faith opened up Noah's heart to receive instruction about the ark. And this guy is a hero, okay? He. I read a commentary that said he was almost 500 years old when he started building the ark. This wasn't like a weekend DIY. <laughs> like, it was like, all right, I'm going to go build an ark over the weekend. It was like, it was very probable that it took around 70 years to build this ark. And no one had ever seen a raindrop. No one had ever seen a boat. And... Everyone was ridiculing him culturally. What he was giving his life to was ridiculous. Ridiculous. 70 years. Like what was going on in the inside of Noah? That faith was so secure on his insides that his culture didn't move him. That the opinions of everyone ridiculing, that, that he didn't see a one physical manifestation for 70 years. Like maybe just a tiny rainstorm would have, you know, like the cloud in the sky, cloud in the sky. Hang on, brother. There's a cloud in the sky coming. No cloud in the sky for 70 years. And he kept building that thing. Building and building and building. That there was a patience connected to his faith. Incredible. And without faith living within us, it would be impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith, knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who give all their passion and strength into seeking him. And, you know, we, got, we have to see somewhere along the, the road of our destiny, like, with those lepers, with these men and women who have gone before us 
and given themselves to believing God and trusting God, that the most significant thing our faith will ever do is passionately seek the presence of God with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our heart. And you know, religion wants to tell us that there is an opinion like the priest that is the crowning moment of your process. If I, if I could just hear that one guy affirm who I am. If I could just, if I could just preach to a crowd of 10,000 one time. If one guy would just get healed when I laid my hand on the sick. When we start to put ifs on the fullness of who we're called to be, we, we have uh, directed our faith in a place that will never have rest. Because once you see that one guy, you're going to need another guy. And once you hear that one affirmation, you're going to need another affirmation. And religion is a form without power. And Jesus came to be the fulfillment of everything that was needed to walk in fullness no matter where we were at in our destiny. That no matter you're at day one and you've got 70 years left. Listen, if you're waiting to arrive, you will hate your life. <laughs> you got 70 years of putting pieces of wood together for the first time. <laughs> but when, when the core purpose of your faith is to passionately, look, look at what it says. For we come to God in faith knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who give all their passion and strength into seeking him. But when, when the sweetest place of your destiny is making your way back to the feet of Jesus again and again with a gratitude, look what you've done in my life. Look what you've done. Look who you are for me. And, you know, I've just been feeling convicted in my own life that when we, when we are more aware of what we don't yet have, what we haven't yet grabbed a hold of in our process than we are on what has already been accomplished, what he's already done. We are, we are engaging with a poverty mentality, with a poverty spirit. Because this is how Bill Johnson describes a poverty spirit. A poverty spirit is a lack of gratitude. <laughs> Help us, Lord Jesus. <laughs> it's not about first. Gosh, I can't pay my bills. I need a car. I, you know, it's not about any of our economic status. It, it starts in your soul. Are you more aware of what you don't have than what we do have? And we, we begin to engage with a spirit of poverty when we lose our gratitude, that's fueled by faith. Oh man, I am surrounded by goodness. 
the Savior of the world has given me access to his presence 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was all what Dan was leading us into tonight. We have the fullness of the new covenant right now. There's so many things we will wait for in our destiny. The fullness of the, the access to the manifest presence of Jesus is not one of them. It will never be one of them. So when you're on day two of a 70-year journey, you have permission to live in fullness because the fullness of Jesus is with you. But when our eye is constantly on the end, we're missing what's right in front of us. And, you know, who we're becoming in the process, a grateful people, a people that values his presence above all else. You know, Thessalonians says, says it best that we would rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all things. For this is the will of God for your life. This is the will of God for your life. Who you are to be on the inside will always come before assignments on the outside. So that when you are walking in the fullness of the good works that have been created for you in Christ Jesus, that you don't end up being one of the nine who forget to come back and say thank you. Who miss who Jesus wanted to be for them in the process, in the journey, the salvation on the inside. And, you know, sometimes when we think about faith, you know, we're dealing with anxiety or we're dealing with stress or worry. I, I still find that on my road sometimes, you know. <laughs> we can think, I need more faith. You know, but Jesus, you know, his disciples, he, in, just in the chapter 17 as well, he was telling his disciples about this radical standard of living a life of complete forgiveness. And they're like, oh, increase our measure of faith. And Jesus said, if, if you realized that even just a, a grain as small as a mustard seed could actually, you could actually say to a mountain, get up and go into the sea, and it would respond. So it's, it's not about we need more faith. It's about I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the faith that I have. And you didn't do something to get that faith. In Hebrews 12, it says, We look away from the natural realm, and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. So the faith that's alive on your insides was a gift that Jesus birthed on the inside of you. And, and it becomes a matter of stewardship, a matter of awareness, a matter of gratitude. You gave this to me. I have faith I have enough faith to navigate this life towards connection with you, no matter what distraction is thrown my way, no matter what trauma is thrown my way, that I have a gift of faith on the inside of me that came from Jesus. And you know, when we, you know, my girls will bring me sweet little gifts, especially when they were little. 
And it was something I bought them. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> they'll wrap, wrap up a teddy bear. I got this for you, Mom. You know, and I unwrap it. I'm like, oh, I bought you that for your birthday last year. You know, and everything you own, I gave you. You know, and this is the way of the Father. He only comes looking for what he already knows we have. And it, it says that Jesus says, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? And, you know, that verse burns in my spirit. Find what you're looking for in a generation. Find what you're looking for. That you, you gave it to us already. So when you walk through this generation, when you walk through this family lineage, find a people that are believing in you. Find a people that are trusting in you. One of my favorite quotes is, bold faith rests on the shoulders of quiet surrender. And, you know, we got we to gotta fill in our story in this hero chapter. <laughs> we got to fill in who do you want to be in the whole of your life, in this season, when you look back six, from, six months from now, what do you want to write in your story? What, what, do, you, what do you want to, to be able to say you did in your current circumstance? With everything you feel the Lord saying, with the pressure, with whatever is being stirred up in your current life, what do you want to be able to look back and say over this season? And, you know, I, I've just been developing, you know, I, I want I I want him to look back on every season I'm navigating through. And I want heaven leaning over saying, she surrendered. She didn't understand. By faith, she surrendered. <laughs> she was navigating a fence. And by faith, she surrendered. She didn't feel a thing. When everyone else in the room was flopping like a fish. And by faith, she surrendered. She felt lack in her finances. And by faith, she surrendered. She saw the blind see, the deaf hear, the, day, the dead raised. And by faith, she surrendered. She saw nations coming to lay their crowns at my feet. And by faith, she surrendered. By faith, she kept yielding over and over and over and over. And let's, let's be the generation who gets it. What, what is the size of obstacle that's going to interrupt our surrender? What's the size of the fear that it takes to interrupt our intimate surrender to Jesus? And I, I don't want to look back six months from now and think, gosh, if I only would have known it would have been this sweet. If I only would have known God was going to be this extravagant. Ah, I wouldn't have wasted so much time and worry or fear. I just would have gotten on the road. And let's just make a decision now at this point in our story. Before the story was told, before it all panned out, by faith he surrendered. By faith he trusted in the goodness of his God. By faith he yielded and leaned in, leaned in with his entire heart. That, that you only get one story. We need to fall in love with your unfolding story. 
Every single part of it. This is the only story you will ever have the leading role. You don't get to show up in Noah's story. You don't get to show up in Abraham's. Unpack a tent. Tuck tent. You know, like, no, you don't. You don't get to be written into any of these stories. <laughs> you get your own story. And show up in your story. Show up now. Not tomorrow. Not 10 years from now. Don't let regret steal any more moments. Noah was almost 500. You've got plenty of time. Show up. And, and be the one. You know, it, we'll just end with this. It's, it says of these heroes, they all died. These heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised them. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm. We're not living in faith if we don't have promises that don't get fulfilled. Because we need to be thinking of a generation we will never see. And your legacy is your belief in the goodness of God, no, long, no matter how long it takes. And if I'm not the one to drink in the fullness of its fulfillment, I know my children's children will. And that makes it worth it. You have my yes you have my patience. You have my trust. I'm not in this for a hundred years. I'm in this for, for way longer. I'm, I'm in this for my great, 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 great grandchildren. And the, the longevity of our faith means we got to take our eyes off of what is going to be fulfilled in our lifetime. And we got to start dreaming so big that it's impossible for it all come to pass in one lifetime. And we are, we are reaping the benefits of heroes who counted the cost and said, I will not relent in my faith no matter what I see. Amen. <laughs> Love you guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.